0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Um, today's reading is from John two thirteen to seventeen and Acts two forty two to forty seven. Jesus clears the temple courts. Zeal for your house will consume me. And then uh, the fellowship of the believers. Am I reading the right? Yeah. So Acts uh, 42 to 47. So they devoted themselves. So the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer.
2: Well, thanks for reading those uh, we're going to do uh, as we start what we often do and just start with a bit of a, a pause in this service and a chance to chat to one another uh, if we haven't met there are a few new faces this evening and if we haven't met my name is John I'm one of the ministers here and it's lovely to have you with us we'll we'll be able to chat at the end um, and a chance to chat now so we're going to have some pictures just come up on the screen if that's all right Andy and these uh, pictures are just a chance if you'd like to to uh, talk with those near us um, ask each other what do these pictures evoke for you what do they bring to mind for you you can do that if you'd like or just have a chat catch up on the week uh, chance to grab refreshments um and we'll do that for for a few minutes and then we'll come back together Those pictures, they flag up some of the things that we're going to be thinking about this evening a bit. Uh, So hold on to those thoughts that you've had about about what those pictures evoke for you. Before that, I want to share uh, something a little bit personal that just helps us to get into this topic this evening. And um, uh, it's relevant to to this series as we're thinking through... uh, Because last week, we we started by thinking about uh, doubt. And just before I went to uni, I started a process of... I guess grappling with some of the doubts that I had at that point in my life and faith. Like many of you, I'd grown up in church, I I came to faith in my teens, and uh, I decided to to study theology at university. It was partly because I think it's a fascinating blend of subjects, history, literature, critical thinking, things like that. But the, the even bigger reason for me was that I wanted to, I guess, examine if my faith stood up to serious academic scrutiny. And so that summer before the start of university, I began this process that that continued through the whole of my course and beyond of of going back to the basis of my faith and, I guess, examining them critically. I explored things like, um, can we really believe in the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus? As I dug into that particular question, I discovered just so many compelling reasons. When, When you look at all the other possible explanations that are given... So many compelling reasons for why that's the only logical reason for how Jesus could have been uh, in the tomb and then three days later not there. And, and lots of questions like that. Things like, um, uh, is the Bible the word of God? Objections people people throw out to that. And as I did, did that I, through that summer and, and through the whole of my course, what happened to me again and again was that as I honestly examined Uh, some of the objections, some of the criticisms people level at our faith, what happened was slightly counterintuitive. My, again and again, my confidence in the goodness, in the power, in the trustworthiness of God and his word, the Bible, grew. It grew because I saw that it, it could stand up to honest, intellectual, critical thinking, now I'm telling you that because last week as we began this series, Christ and Questions, we started to think about some of our doubts. We acknowledge that the doubt is a very normal thing for followers of Jesus to walk through. It's, it's a normal thing, not, not something completely to be feared, but it's also, it's also not where we want to stay. We want to take our doubts to the Lord Jesus and work them through with him. John gave us some really helpful ways of doing that. It would be great to catch up with those if you didn't get them last week. And I've just shared a bit of my story, I guess just a way of encouraging us. If any of us are here this evening and we're kind of feeling stuck uh, in doubts, that it is possible to work through them. Possible to come out at the other end with a deeper confidence in God and his word. And that is one of our big prayers as we continue to go through this series. Today we're going to focus on one particular doubt that, that some of us might have. Uh, Is an area of doubt that's increasingly common uh, for Christians in our culture. And it's doubt in the church. That's what those pictures were evoking for us. Doubt and suspicion about the church as an institution. And that may well be where where a number of us are this evening. Maybe we really struggle with, with the church. I'm not just talking about our local church, though there may be ways you struggle with that and we'd love to hear them. We want to be an open book as a church for for ways we can grow. But but I also mean this whole thing that we call church. See, in generations gone by in the Western world, institutions like the church were widely respected, weren't they? And that's still the case in lots of parts of the world. But in the West, the church is, is viewed, I guess, with a greater and greater degree of suspicion. We live in a culture that has placed more and more Uh, of an emphasis on our own personal autonomy. There there are lots of good things about that, of course. But it also means that that gone are the days when, when people readily accept what the church, or indeed any institution, might have to say. And we've got to be honest, haven't we, and say that the church as an institution has definitely contributed to that. Lots of ways it has contributed to that suspicion that many people feel, perhaps including a number of us this evening, There are, if we're honest, some really ugly aspects of church history. Things like the Crusades, violent conflict between uh, Catholics and Protestants at the time of the Reformation. Uh, The ways that more recently, perhaps especially in the United States, but also affecting us here, churches were slow to uh, promote and to uh, go after what society was going after. Things like racial equality. And then in more recent years, we've perhaps seen the, I guess in one sense, the darkest period of Christian history. As a shocking number of, as Wendy was praying, abuse scandals have appeared right right across the denominations. Terrible abuses, sometimes compounded by the added agony of people in positions of authority who have covered up that abuse. In other churches, people have been, have been tricked into giving more of their money to ministries that claim that if you give, you'll be blessed. And the result is that the vulnerable have suffered. And then there are all kinds of failings that church leaders have made. And we're going we're to think about that a bit more in the final sermon of this series. So it's understandable, isn't it? If you, if you take all of that, that some people are deeply suspicious and untrusting, doubtful about the church. Well, this evening we want to we want to hear for this question, for all questions we might have, what the Lord Jesus speaks into it. Does he have anything to say to the problems we have with church? He has plenty to say. And and one notable example of, of Jesus' attitude to, to what can go wrong with religious institutions comes in that first passage we had read. So if you can flick to it, that would be wonderful on your device or in the Pew Bibles. It's John chapter 2, uh, verses 13 to 17. I'm not going to read them again, but, but I'd like to, to suggest you picture the scene with me. It's the, it's the Passover festival, so the most important uh, festival in the Jewish calendar. It's the time when, when people, the people of God remembered how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. We'll, we'll be looking at that story together uh, in our evening sermons uh, next month. So in this, in this scene, there are thousands of pilgrims that you've got to imagine. They have flocked to Jerusalem uh, to join in with this festival. They've all descended on the, de- on the temple. Uh, and so the temple courts are absolutely rammed full of people. Men, women, children, rich and poor. And the place is full of noise. The money changes. Over here, best exchange rates in town. And then there's the calling of the merchants. Get your pigeons for sacrifice Here the noises of all the animals. A group of men have just arrived from Capernaum. But no one takes any notice of them to begin with. Why would they among all these people? But then suddenly, in all the din and the noise, there comes a, a much more deafening crashing noise. And then another, and then another. You turn around and you see people running in all directions, Nearby, there are coins scattered all over the floor. A couple of bulls run past you, uh, being desperately chased by their owners. And another table goes over. And then you see the man who is doing this. And he's shouting, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. It's not exactly the picture, is it, of Jesus that many people have in their minds maybe doing what we're doing this evening, uh, reading the Bible, is quite alien to you. And you had an image of Jesus in your mind as as the meek and mild figure. And yet here he is, throwing over tables. He's making a whip and he's driving people and animals out of the temple courts. It's not at all what you'd imagined. You know, Jesus often does that. He often confounds our expectations of what he's like. This is very new for you. Do keep reading through one of the accurate gospel accounts of Jesus' life, perhaps John's gospel, uh, which we are on this evening. Or, or a group has just started meeting on Tuesday evenings that, that you can join with, reading through Luke's gospel. Come and talk to me or to Wendy. We can give you the, the details of that. So maybe this picture of Jesus it is not at all what you had in your mind. Because here he's angry, isn't he? Really angry not like our anger that comes and goes, that flares up from our wounded pride when we don't get what we want. No, the opening verses of John's gospel have shown this this man is none other than also the son of God. What we're seeing here is, is a kind of righteous, holy anger of a holy God to human sin. And what has made him so angry? He says, stop turning my house into a market. In other words, how dare you turn the place of meeting with God into a place to meet your financial needs? That's what the people were doing. You see, the temple was a place for the sacrifices uh, to be brought. And to buy the sacrifice, the animals for the sacrifice, the people weren't allowed to use uh, foreign money. Uh, they, they'd flock from the surrounding areas, they couldn't use the Roman coins. And so they had to use a special temple money. And so to pay, and with that temple money, you needed to pay a temple tax. So here are the money changers. And and perhaps they were often charging a little bit extra on the side, an extra percentage on top for the privilege. So here are people who are claiming to be helpful by providing these money-changing facilities. They're saying, look, we're helping the people to worship. But what does Jesus do? He takes one look and he sees right through what's happening. He sees that what really they love is is not God, but money. Here are people who are using religion as an excuse for their financial gain. So that is why he's filled with this righteous, holy zeal. And Jesus did that again and again, things like this, confronting the, the corrupt religious practices of his own day. You can read on in the gospel and you'll see again and again he's doing this. Some of his harshest criticisms are reserved for the religious authorities. It's clear, Jesus had very little time for institutions, religious institutions, that have gone wrong. And that's, that's comforting, actually, for us. In our day, that's encouraging. It means we can be confident that he would, he would be like we are, deeply grieved, angered in a way even more holy than than our righteous anger can sometimes be by the same things that trouble us from the history of the church. We can expect that he would have been angry at people using uh, faith as an excuse for, for violence in the religious wars of the past. And we can be sure he would be deeply grieved, angered by the way that some churches have covered up abuse or other immorality. So if that's how Jesus related to the the religious institutions of his day, if that's how Jesus feels today about aspects of the church, what do we do with that? Some people suggest that the answer might be to dispense with church altogether. The thinking goes like this. Maybe it can be me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. You might have heard people say things like that. I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but I don't really engage with church anymore. I'm a Christian, but, but I don't really go in with the idea of being part of church. That might actually seem a, a compelling and attractive argument when you think of all that we've been seeing so far this evening. But here's the thing. The church was Jesus' idea. We can't have Jesus but ignore the church because Jesus gave us the church. It was his idea. Here's Jesus speaking to the Apostle Peter. These are famous words, Matthew chapter 16. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice from those words, it is, it's Jesus who establishes the church He says that that this church would grow from, from Peter's leadership onwards. And notice it's Jesus who calls it my church. His idea, he founded it. It was his plan. And so he's totally invested in the unstoppable growth of his church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is what Jesus has been doing gloriously ever since. In 2,000 years and more of Christian history, building his church in every single place where people follow him as their saviour and lord. Did you know that in the whole of the New Testament, Jesus doesn't promise to build anything else? This is the, the one human institution that he says he'll build. So we can't have Jesus, but, but forget about the church. Jesus founded it. It was his plan. The implication of that is that, that no one is meant to be a solo Christian separated in some way from the church, from a local church family, all of us are called to belong to local church families, whether right now in this church family or if we move away at different points um, to a church family local to us. If you want to think more about that, can I encourage you to to look on the website where we've got these resources on the Christ and Questions page, there is a resource there, a video called Can I Love Jesus and Leave the Church? And that would be worth uh, watching if you want to think more about that so it's Jesus' church. It was his idea. And that helps us to make sense of this, that this, despite the mess that we, we often make of church, as people who are forgiven, if we trust in Christ, and yet sinners still, nonetheless, church was and is still a wonderful thing that Jesus is building. And that means that if we want to, to honour our saviour Jesus, then then we honour the church that he's building and embrace our part in it. We see that from the other reading we had. So do flick over, if you can, to Acts chapter 2, to the end of Acts chapter 2. And it's short, so I'm going to read it again now. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. is a truly wonderful picture of the church. Now, in its earliest days, it, it, as described in the book of Acts, it, it wasn't without its problems. It was still made up of sinful people. But in these early stages, as, as God's people committed themselves to the things that we we're about to see, we see a beautiful pattern of church life. As one writer has put it, this is a picture of the kind of church you get when when the Holy Spirit reigns over an obedient people. So we're just going to pull out a few things from these words that they are going to help us, I pray, to be reminded of the beauty of Jesus' church and hopefully encourage us uh, to to embrace even more our part in it. First, we're told they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Literally, that means that they were continually devoting themselves to it. And the apostles' teaching, that means all the Old Testament, that the scriptures which pointed forward to Jesus. It means all his words and deeds recorded in the gospel. And it means all that the apostles then went on to write about him uh, in the rest of the New Testament and to the emerging churches. So, so the apostles' teaching, that's just a shorthand way of saying the whole Bible. And what we see here is early Christians who are, who are hungry for God's word. Maybe that describes you in the early days after you came to faith over the first few months and a couple of years but but actually if you 're honest with yourself you've you 've kind of drifted and, and this can happen to all of us drifted from from being devoted to god 's teaching through the Bible. It, it might be that one of the reasons for that you, you know is because of some specific doubts that you have and and that 's why we want to open up this series as an opportunity to ask those questions to one another but but actually it might be that that the thing that that you need most is, is to ask the Lord that, you would, that he would help you to be devoted to it again in a fresh way. Devoting ourselves to God's words l- looked like reading them. Not just our favourite bits, but all of it. And there are loads of great ways, plans that you can use to, to read the Bible in a year, two years, other ways. Just ask one of us on the team if uh, you would like and we can recommend uh, that to you. So devoting ourselves to it looks like reading it, and devoting ourselves to it looks like obeying it. Again, in not just our favorite bits, but all of it. Because in doing so, we know that all of it is God's good word to us. And in doing so, we honor the Lord Jesus. Well, it's not easy to grow in our understanding of and our obedience to God's word apart from church. If we only ever read it ourselves, and that 's why that 's why small groups are a vital part of our church family life together if you 're not part of a small group you 're kind of missing out on this on one this is just one dimension of small groups we 'll talk about more but but missing out on 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 studying the Bible together and growing together. Please come and talk to me or wendy or natasha we 'd love to connect you to a group because small groups are a wonderful place for that for reading the Bible together, growing together, but they 're also a wonderful way to pursue those other bits uh, of that Acts 2 passage, we're just going to look at these briefly together. Verse 42 again, they devoted themselves, we've seen, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Then verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Those are wonderful goals, each one of those things for our church family life together. To prioritise being devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, prayer, generosity. In other words, this is an early church that made it a priority to spend time together. Yes, on Sundays in small groups, but also in just in doing all of life together. And you know, it's been wonderfully encouraging coming here and seeing how much of that is already happening in this church family. How, How before and after our evening services. Uh, there's this fellowship that those who kindly put on refreshments uh, enable for us. We'd love a few more people in that team. Please get in touch. Uh, we love how people like Lincoln are great at, at, at organising social things. And that can continue to grow more and more. Maybe there are people from the church family who who we can invite over uh, for meals. I'm not just talking about from this, this service, but getting to know people in the morning service as well and and inviting one another, that might be especially a blessing to people for whom times like Sunday lunch are, are an isolating time. So we can have fellowship together. There, there are loads of ways we can do that. And as we do that, we, we share what God is speaking to us through the Bible. So we're called to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Bible, to fellowship, to prayer. Elliot preached a stonking sermon this morning. Uh, on the joy and the gift of prayer. Do check that out if you weren't in the morning service. And part of being a church family is not only praying on our own, but praying together, growing together as we pray. And that is why we, that is why we always have intercessions and confession in a service. It's why Alison wonderfully leads the prayer ministry. That, and again, they'll, they'll be there this evening after service for anything we want to pray for. That's why we encourage one another to pray through all the joys and trials of life. It's why evening prayer is happening after this service as a a quiet space for reflection. It's why every month we gather together for prayer at the centre. And and can I say particularly, if you've not ever been able to come to a prayer at the centre, it is an enormously encouraging time, spiritually encouraging for us as we gather together, as we pray, and as we say to the Lord, we need your help. We need you to come and work among us. So there's the apostles' teaching, there's fellowship, there's prayer, And lastly, we're told it's a generous church. All the believers were together, verse 44, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Again, a wonderful picture for us. We get to know one another in our fellowship, and we we discover practical and financial ways that we can bless one another. That's a reason why, as part of the Church with Warmth response to the cost of living crisis, we have set up a, a support fund, a financial support fund, and if there is anyone here who is struggling, can I say, please don't be English about that, British about it. Please come and, and say that, that, that help would be, would be needed, that help is available. And, and that's why every part of our Church with Warmth and community activities uh, exists. The Renew Cafe, the Warm Spaces, really enormously thankful for people like Al, Matt, uh, Carol, and, and a huge number of us who have contributed to that. Those are really helpful. Those are proving to be really, really encouraging times of being community together, of of having fellowship, showing generosity to one another and the wider community. So they devoted themselves to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to generosity. And as all of those things happened, we see that, that the Lord comes and he works, and people come to discover the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It would be a great thing for us to pray as we continue to try and be a church family like this at Emmanuel, that that people would come to know Jesus because they see distinctive Christian community in us. Now that picture, I hope, gives us just a reminder of the beautiful thing that, that that church is, that Jesus is building. It's a beautiful reality when we're obedient to Christ, when we devote ourselves to these things, that is beautiful. But actually, it depends on each one of us to, to make it more and more beautiful. Here's what one church leader has said. Church isn't primarily a great place for you to find community. It's a great place for you to build community. So, I just want to say as we close, if you have been tempted to give up on church... Maybe because of its failings, I hope that instead you'll be encouraged from from these words, from Acts chapter two, to take your place more and more in church family life. See, one of the very best ways that we can we can deal with our doubts about the church is not to walk away from it, but to throw ourselves into it. That's a challenge each of us will take to heart this evening. Let me just pray briefly for us and then Wendy will come and continue to lead us. Father in heaven, we praise you for this wonderful picture of church life. And Father, even as we bring to you all that all that we know in church can be difficult, can be painful. Things that the church has got wrong. Father, we pray you would forgive us, but we pray you would make us more and more this kind of people, devoted to to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the f- breaking of bread to prayer to generosity and father we pray that as we do that you would indeed add to our number those who are being saved we pray it in jesus name amen
0: thanks for listening to the emmanuel croydon podcast for more information about our church and everything we have going on visit our website emmanuelcroydon.org.uk